So I invite you to turn your Bibles to uh, scriptures that were used earlier from Luke chapter 2. As you're turning there, I was thinking of the passage in 2 Corinthians 3. And if you could go ahead and put 2 Corinthians 3, put put, uh, verse 3 up there. And it says, clearly, you are a letter from Christ. You know, the Bible says that we, our lives, and that's what Paul is saying here, is that he said to those in Corinth, he said, your life is a letter. Your life is being read. Your life preaches. Your life speaks. And he says, clearly, writing to the folks there at uh, Corinth, he said, clearly, you, you individually, are a letter from Christ. What do you do with a letter? You read it. It speaks to you. You're a letter from Christ, and your letter, your life, shows the result of our ministry among you. He said, this letter is written not with pen and ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. And I was thinking about that passage as a reminder that our lives preach. Our lives are read. Our lives speak something. We may not verbally always say that, but our lives are being read and our lives speak something. We all have a message that we are communicating in some form. And so our lives that speak a message, I was thinking and tying that into Luke chapter 2 this morning. And the title this morning of the message, you don't have an outline, we didn't do all that. This is just going to be a brief, briefer message this morning. But the title this morning is the three messages of Christmas, the three messages of Christmas. And we're just going to pull some things out of Luke chapter 2 and looking at what are three messages in this familiar passage that are being spoken of, that are preached. And a reminder that our lives, whether it's at this season or any season, every day, we're open letters, our lives speak and are conveying a message. Notice with me uh, this morning beginning at verse 10, and that is the heavenly choir preached a message. Those angels that were there, they preached a message, and their message was a message of peace. They delivered a message of peace. The heavenly choir, those angels that announced to those shepherds, uh, verse 10 says, and the angel, verse 10, and the angel said to them, the shepherds, fear not, For behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Their message, fear not. It was a soothing message. You know, fear, people live with a lot of fear. But their message came at a time when they told those shepherds, fear not. And this morning we need to be reminded that the announcement of the birth of Christ, the announcement of God, a very God coming into our world, we don't have to fear. And the announcement is, don't fear. It's a soothing message. But also notice In their message, it's a salvation message. Verse 10 and 11, the angel of the Lord said, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news. The gospel, literally, it means good news. Now, you wouldn't know that by looking at some church folks, that it's a good news message, right? You get around some Christians, and you would think it's all bad news, but it's good news. It's good news. The angel said, Fear not. For we bring you good news of great joy that will be, notice the, it says we bring to you, the message of good news is for us, but he also says this good news 
is for all people. The Bible says that God so loved the world. This wasn't just a Jewish Messiah. This was a Messiah that would be available to all people. But notice the three titles that I think are interesting there in this passage. Notice, I think they're all in uh, verse 11, where it says, Savior, Savior. They're announcing Jesus as a Savior. We needed salvation. We needed a Savior. We, um, we needed one that would pay the price, the sacrifice for sin. We couldn't do that. But it also says the Christ. That's the uh, Greek equivalent of the Jewish word Messiah, that we get Messiah, the Christ, Christos. That's the one who is, literally means the anointed one. This Jesus, Messiah, the Christ, he was the fulfillment of all the promises of the Old Testament. We make uh, classes, we talk a lot about Genesis 3.15, about when at mankind's darkest hour, the Lord said, and cursed the serpent, the devil, and said that he would bring, God would bring his seed through the woman. In other words, he would bring one that would crush the serpent's head. And from Genesis 3.15, all the way forward, we see God fulfilling that promise. So when we come to the Old Testament, we don't want to unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. We need the Old Testament. The Old Testament gives us the clarity and understanding of what God did on that night of Jesus' birth. But notice it also says Lord. That speaks of the sovereign Lord. Jesus was Lord of Lords. This past Friday night, my wife and I went to the Strass Center and heard the beautiful uh, production orchestral of the Messiah. And I tell you, the more you learn about that musical piece and the history and, the, and what is being done there, it's a very moving, uh, it's very long, two and a half hours. Thankfully, they gave a few breaks in, the, in between. But it was a magnificent production, not just in as far as the quality, but to hear a room, that stress center of people. Now, I don't know their background. I don't know if they know Christ, or I don't know, you know, many people appreciate those type of things just because of the historicity and the musical quality and the appreciation of the music. But to hear that filled stress center, people standing on their, on their feet saying, Hallelujah, glory to God in the highest. I mean, I looked at my wife and I thought, Isn't that amazing? Do they really even know what they're saying? I hope they do, but many, I assume, don't. And so Jesus is the Lord. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the one to be served. I think it's great and wonderful to be reminded that God knew what to send us. He sent us a Savior. Jesus is the Savior. He's not an example, even though he's the greatest example. He's not just a teacher, even though he was the greatest teacher that ever lived. But he's a savior. And you may have heard this before, but it's worth repeating that if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. If our greatest need had been military, God would have sent us a soldier. If our greatest need had been for justice, God would have sent a judge. But our greatest need was the need of forgiveness, to be reconciled with our Creator, to be made right, and God sent a Savior. But let me not pass this by that in this 
heavenly choir, these angels, not only do they have a, a soothing message, fear not, a salvation message of, that we bring you good news, but it was a showing message. It was a message that was meant to be public, to be showed, verse 12. And the angel said, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. It's a message that is to be showed. It wasn't some secret, but it was made and done in the public. The angels pointed the way to Jesus. And isn't that a good thing for us to do, to those that know him, to point people to Christ? You realize when we're pointing people to Christ, we're doing the work of the angels, pointing the way toward the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this morning, we're reminded of this message that this heavenly choir in Luke 2, that they preach. But we also see a second message, and that is the humble shepherds preached a message. The humble shepherds preached a message. Uh, they delivered a message of praise. That's why music, think about it, Christianity is noted for the wonderful music of people that, that know Christ, that, that bring music and sing and worship. I'm not sure of any religion that is noted for its music besides Christianity. Think about it. Think about the songs, even the songs that we sing, and how those bear the test of time and giving praise to this one who came. The shepherds, history tells us that shepherding in this culture, in this time, that was seen kind of as a, a lowly, uh, undignified way to make a living. Uh, the shepherds were considered to be social outcasts. Their job was working around all these animals and oftentimes because their own, just by nature of, of shepherding and handling these animals, oftentimes their uncleanliness kept them from the temple and from going through the proper cleansing. And so, But isn't it ironic that God delivered this message to these shepherds that were the social outcasts, that they were considered unclean, not unclean like a leper, but they weren't just the normal, regular religious folks. They were people that were considered on the outer fringes of respectable society. But isn't that, isn't that the way God sent Christ? I think of Luke 19.10, how the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. He didn't come to the kings and royalty. He came to the people like a physician, he said in Mark 2.17. A physician comes for those who are what? That are sick, right? Doesn't come for the well. Doesn't come for the healthy. Some have speculated in whether these shepherds, these particular men, that part of their task and their job was to uh, provide these animals that were used in the animal sacrifices. Again, what a picture of this message of the true sacrifice message being delivered to these shepherds overseeing these, these, uh, these sheep. But see, their message, what message did they preach? Consider verse 15. It was a message of obedience. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go. Let's go. What did they do? They obeyed the message given to them by the Lord. They followed the message they received. And we're to follow and be obedient to this same message. I think about the woman at the well that when, when Jesus had that encounter with her, remember she went back into her hometown 
And in John 4, 29, she said, come and see. I met one who told me everything about me, about my life. She went out from her encounter with Christ and said, come and see. You see, I think the real fruit and test of a true believer encountering Jesus and knowing Christ is are they giving the message to come and see and be obedient. But not only were they obedient, but verse 17 speaks about how they had a message of opportunity. When they had seen him, verse 17, it says they spread the word. They obeyed, went forth, and then it says they took opportunity and they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. Verse 18, and it says, and all who heard it. Think about it. Christianity is a, is a religion, if, you, if I can use that term. Of course, it is in a, in a technical sense, but it is a, it is a, it is a message that is intended to be heard, that is spoken, that is read. It has to do with a message. It's a message that is to be spread. And they spread the word about Jesus and telling others about Christ. But not only that, but we see that in their obedience, there was an overwhelming message that they exemplified. Verse 20, it says, The shepherds returned, and when they returned... They were still shepherds. They were still outcasts. Nothing had changed as far as their circumstances, but they changed. It says, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen. Their circumstances were the same, but their hearts were changed at their encounter with this message that was given to them. We preach a message, and we see two of the messages of the heavenly choir, the angels, the message of the shepherds. But notice a third person that, if we could say, delivered a message in this particular passage of Luke 2. And that is the hard-hearted innkeeper preached a message. His message was a message of rejection. Now, I know there's some... Uh, speculation on the nature of what the inn was. Was it part of a house or whatever the nature was? But that really doesn't have anything to do with the story. The Bible says in Luke chapter 2, verse 4, And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Verse 6, and while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger. And here it is, because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, the Bible doesn't say that this, we'll call him an innkeeper. It doesn't necessarily imply or say anything that he had some kind of evil intent in his heart that he was seeking to do, but think about it. Who would turn away a pregnant woman in the middle of the night? I would think that person might be a little hardened that would be callous to turn away a woman that would be very close to giving birth in the middle of the night and just needing some basic lodging. And it reveals a hardness that I think of the heart. And so what message did this innkeeper preach? Not necessarily a good message, 
but it was a message of sadness. There was no room for Jesus. He had room. He probably slept in a nice warm bed and had adequate, adequate lodging. But Jesus himself had no, there was no room for him. But isn't that really speak to the bigger dynamic of the coming of Jesus that John opens with in John chapter 1 verse 11, where it says that Jesus came to his own and his own people, what? Didn't have room for him. It's sad to have room for everything else except Jesus in your life. I don't know about you this morning, but maybe your life is crowded with many things and you're trying to squeeze a little bit of Jesus in during the December month. You'll kind of revisit him back around Easter. But the rest of the time, there's really no room for Jesus in your life. Jesus is at the door. Revelation 3.20, Jesus speaking to the church says, I'm here, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, he said what? I will come in, eat. I will come in and have what? Relationship. I will come in and dine and have that picture of a relationship. I stand at the door and knock. So the innkeeper preached a message of sadness, but he also was a message of sorrow. Because no Jesus, no hope. To know Jesus is to know hope. There was no room for him, and there was no hope without Christ. There was no future without Christ. Now again, we don't want to read too much here. We don't know what happened. I tend to always look at the positive sense in thinking about these situations and thinking maybe later the innkeeper somehow discovered who he had turned away and came to faith in Christ. We don't know. But remember Jesus said that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And he said, no one, that's an exclusive claim that Jesus made of himself, that no one can come to the Father except through me. There's no other way. There's no other path. There's not multiple uh, uh, roads that lead to God. Jesus himself said, I am the exclusive way to God. I'm not a way, I'm the way. I'm not a truth among many truths. I'm the truth. And I am the life. And to reject and have no Jesus and no room for Jesus is a message of sorrow that sadly the innkeeper Preach, but also the innkeeper had a message of separation. The innkeeper's rejection of Christ prevented him from knowing that same joy that the shepherds had. Think about it. There's people all around us in our neighborhoods. We're here today gathered and celebrating Christ and worshiping the Lord and enjoying the some of the festivities and, and, and traditions around Christmas and talking about a Savior being born. And yet we're surrounded, we're surrounded by people within blocks of us that have no knowledge and no understanding of the wonderful truth of this gospel. And that should be a testimony to us to be people like those shepherds, to go and tell. Without Christ, the Bible says, there is no life. There's only hope and there's only eternal life found in Christ. John, one of 
Jesus' apostles, that means one of those that were close to Jesus in his earthly ministry, later wrote this in 1 John chapter 5, verse 12, said, whoever has the Son, look at the language carefully, whoever has Christ has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. If you're here today and Jesus Christ is not the Lord and Savior of your life, you do not have any hope or promise of eternal life. It doesn't matter whether you show up at December or Easter or any of those things. If you don't have Christ, you don't have life. If you have Christ, you have the life that God sends and that goes beyond the grave. Not just beyond the grave, but life now. Listen, in my hardest days, I would rather have Jesus in my life during the hardest roads and days of my life than to be without Him and enjoy unfettered bless, uh, you know, blessing and financial uh, blessing or whatever and never have a problem. I'd rather go through this life full of problems, full of health issues or whatever, and to know that my life is secure in Christ in that promise. Because the Bible says that this life is but a vapor. You ever strike a match and just blow it out? That's how quick this life is. Some of you woke up and all of a sudden you're collecting Social Security. And just yesterday, you're thinking, and I'm not collecting Social Security yet. Yet, I'm close, but not there yet. But just yesterday, I could, in my mind, think about walking into first grade in Mrs. Siebold's class at Wilson Elementary School in Corpus Christi, Texas, where my dad took me to school on that first day of class. And I had a little, little satchel and had my name written on the desk. It just seems like yesterday. And bam, here I am with you guys. Life is quick and life is fast. So when we think about the message, and there's many messages, but just by way to kind of draw our attention around and be a reminder of the story Luke 2 reminds us of three Christmas messages in these selective verses. And so on this morning, I want to ask you, what, what message today is your life preaching today? What do people hear and read when they look at your life? Is it the message of the angels that your message points people to Christ? Oh, you may not be real verbal and but yet they look at your life and they know there's something distinctly different about your life. They know that there's something different in the way that you prioritize what you do with your life. That your message preaches and points people to Christ. Maybe you're like the shepherds and you have a message in which your life is filled with hope and joy and praise. And you just can't imagine and you just can't get enough of the fact that God loved me. That this wasn't just some eschatological, theological concept the angels were announcing about the birth of Messiah. But, he, but those angels said, this is a Savior for you. For you. Those shepherds heard that message because they needed a Savior. And filled with wonder. You know, I think of David so many times in the Psalms 
as he, was, as he was extolling the greatness and marvelousness of God. I think of one, Psalm 139, one of my favorites. And as he was talking about the wonder of God, he pauses midway and thinks, but God, it isn't so much about my thoughts about you, but your thoughts about me. Who am I that you would think about me? What is man that you are mindful of him? So maybe this morning your message is like the angels. Your life points people to Christ. Maybe I hope I want to be like those shepherds filled with wonder and glory. Or maybe if you're honest, you'd have to admit your message is more like the innkeeper. You just have no room for Jesus in your life. No room for Christ. This morning, let the trappings of the Christmas story and the tradition remind us that we need to make room for Christ. Not only to those who know Him as Savior and Lord, that are followers of Him, but I don't know about you, but I need to make room for Jesus every day of my life. I need to make room for the Savior every day in my decision making. You know, on the end of that video, he put up that little WWJD. And you know, that was just one of those commercial gimmicks that uh, became popular. But it was a good, good thing. What would Jesus do? I think it came from the In His Steps a novel that was written about, I think, a whole town that decided to follow Jesus for a certain period of time. And, but what would Jesus do? That's, a good, that's not a bad thing. And I need to make room for Jesus in my family, in my decision-making, people that I love, in my distinctions of what entertains me and what doesn't. I'm making room for Jesus, and that's the quest of my whole life. I say quest, I'm not trying to earn anything from him, but I'm, I'm expanding and, and, and enjoying the life of Jesus, knowing that if this same Jesus that I'm going to spend eternity, I don't have to wait to eternity to enjoy and live off the benefits of knowing Christ right now. I don't want to be like the innkeeper. I don't want to be so pre-consumed with what's filling up my life that I have no room for Christ. Let's pray. Father, this morning, Lord, we thank you for, Lord, just the enjoyment of a church family that does things in which we enjoy each other. We enjoy our children. We see the blessing of the future. Lord, so many churches do not have the, the noise of children in their hallways. Lord, thank you for the ministry of our kids and those that work with our children. But Lord, those of us who, our kids are out of the house and we're a little further down the road, it's easy to kind of just relate that as kid stuff. But Lord, we need the reminder of the Savior who came. Lord, regardless of whether we're one or 101, Lord, to be reminded that the message of the gospel is that Jesus Christ has come. That God, Emmanuel, God with us. 
Lord, I pray that this morning, or that there's any here today, maybe they came just to watch maybe a neighbor's friend, a grandchild, maybe a niece, a nephew. Maybe they just came to kind of do their thing at Christmas. And, but God, you brought them here for a, a different reason. You had them on your divine, holy alarm clock set in eternity past. God, that this would be the time. God, that they would hear a message that is by your Spirit, not through any effort on my end, but your Spirit is taking this message and they're finding themselves uncomfortable. They're finding themselves restless. They're finding themselves wrestling with this whole concept of a need of a Savior. And Lord, they are, they're not joyful about Jesus. Lord, they're not, they're not passionate about anything related to the Christmas message. In fact, they're just ready to shut the door and keep on with their life. But you this morning, Lord, are, to use that picture from Revelation 3, you're knocking at the door of their heart. Lord, you're inviting them. You're not going to break down the door, but you're inviting them to open. Be open to the Savior. Lord, we don't worship a baby. A baby's not very threatening. The Bible says that this baby grew up, died on a cross, was resurrected from the dead on the third day of when he was buried and ascended bodily, physically into heaven, Acts chapter 1, and that this same Jesus is going to return one day. Not return as a baby, but return as a victorious king to rule and to reign. Joy to the world. The Savior has come. Lord, let the joy of the Savior penetrate every heart here today. And while every head is bowed and every eye is closed, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord, Savior, you've never said, Jesus, come into my life. Come into my heart. Change me. Lord, this is just a message I've grown up with, but today, for some reason, I feel drawn to ask the Savior to come into my life. Not just a story that's 2,000 years old, but a story that's as real right now because Jesus is knocking on my heart, my life, and wants to enter in to me, my life. You may say, Jesus, don't you know what you're getting? My life is more messed up than you could ever imagine. He knows that. He knows all about you. And yet he invites you to open that door and to receive him to come in. He won't stay at the door for long. He doesn't go where he's not wanted. And so this morning, if you would open that door, figuratively speaking, and just... Say, Jesus, come into my life. I open that door. I want you to come in. And I want to have a real relation. I don't want religion. I want a real, real relationship of knowing Jesus and Jesus knowing me. I invite you, Jesus, to do that. And everyone that just makes that simple request, you don't have to go to a class. You don't go, have to go to weeks of catechism. You just simply have to ask. It's that simple. And Jesus never refused 
anyone who asked him to come into their life. And he won't refuse you this morning. So Lord Jesus, we thank you for this truth. We thank you for the message, the gospel message. God, that you spoke in Genesis 3. And God, you fulfilled it to the letter. God, in that cold winter night in a manger. Lord, we thank you. That wasn't just a a message of intellect, but it was a messenger who changed our life. And we bless you this morning.